By now, we've touched on this already, but we'll uh, go ahead and finish it up here today in the fast lane. A number of different topics on college football, but uh, the most you know amazing part about that game last night, and it just if you think about the calendar. This coming Tuesday is the one-year anniversary of the tragedy on grounds uh, that took the lives of Devin Chandler, Deshaun Perry, and Lavelle Davis Jr. And then last night, uh, the running back room again with Mike Hollins, obviously the survivor of that tragedy almost a year ago as we speak today, Friday, November 10th. But another running back, Paris Jones, and what took place with him uh, suffering the injury at Louisville last night. It looked really scary in the moment when it happened, uh, thankfully afterwards he was rushed to a medical center, held overnight, regained his uh, facilities, or I guess he had movement in his extremities, which uh, certainly is as good of a news as you could expect on that. So again, worth acknowledging today in the fast lane, and uh, we'll do that to start off our chat with Oliver Hodgkinson, a friend of ours from collegefootballnetwork.com and at OJ Hodgkinson as well on Twitter and Instagram, where you can keep up with them. Ollie, a pleasure to speak with you before we get to the game action last night. Uh, relief. Is that one of the emotions that came for you when early in the morning Eastern time and maybe uh, even closer to daylight UK time where you're based, the release came from the University of Virginia that uh, Paris Jones was going to be uh, as fine as you could expect given the situation that transpired last night at Louisville. Yeah, it was a, it was a relief to um, to wake up to, to that email. I went to sleep after the game and then woke up a couple of hours later when my son woke up and it was the first email that I read and it was it was great to hear such um, such promising news about Paris Jones because obviously, as you mentioned there, Ed, it was, it was a sickening incident to watch uh, in real time and then you, you saw you know i thought ESPN did a great job of not keep going back to the replays but there was there was a replay or two that was that was out there and when you slow that collision down it was it was truly sickening and and obviously the you could sense the atmosphere you know i'm over here thousands of miles away in the uk but you could sense the atmosphere on tv and what it must have been like in cardinal stadium last night i don't know what the, the silence was palpable um you knew, you knew in that that moment with that atmosphere that it was obviously something very, very serious. But great news! Um, it was great to receive the news as well. There was a lot of talk that Virginia wouldn't give an update until um, until today. Um, so it was great to to get that news on Paris Jones. And, and like you say, that all the things that have happened to that program over the past year, it was it's nice to get some some positive positive news. And then even further for for Virginia, obviously, uh, is the fact that it, it was another twist in what turned out to be a really wild game. Virginia fell down fourteen nothing. They claw their way back and actually take a lead late in that game, under eight minutes to go in the fourth quarter, and Virginia takes a lead, and then Louisville ties it and reclaims the lead in the waning moments. What was your impression overall of that game, and given how Virginia? Three of the last four games have actually looked good, but they only have the win at North Carolina to show for it. Yeah, they're really trending in the right direction. I think this is the most important takeaway from from last night. And like you say, for the past couple of weeks, that this program that started off with very low expectations nationally, you know, from that from national media, there wasn't a, a deal of great expectations for Virginia or, or Virginia Tech. And we're going to talk about the, the, the Hokies a little bit later on, I think. But there really wasn't a sense of expectation. Early on in the year, it looked like they were performing to that expectation level. 
but there is a sense that things are starting to to gel and to knit, and they're all, they're on an upward trajectory with Tony Elliott. And Louis, Louisville was a 20, 20 point five favorite at one point. I don't know what it, the, the final line was, but at one point it was a twenty point five um, spread favorite in this game, and and you could understand why. You know, the, the Cardinals have been such a force in the ACC this season whether you want to look at Jahar Jordan on the ground or what Jack Plum has been able to do efficiently managing this Louisville offense it was um, you could see why they were such a big favorite so I thought Virginia did a great job A coming back from that 14 nothing deficit in the first place secondly um, to, to come back and to take the lead in extraordinary circumstances like you said a wild game and obviously with the injury to Paris Jones you could have really forgiven Virginia for just caving um, but that fighting spirit that's obviously around that program was evident on the field. Um, and I think, for me, when you look at the game last night and you look at Virginia overall this season, it's Anthony Calandra, right? I don't, for, for me, I, I look at this freshman and, yeah, there's there's some stuff to work out for him in terms of how he reads the game, some of the decisions that he makes. But this is this kid is electric. And Virginia knew what they had with with Anthony Calandra in the in the preseason. Obviously, they bought Tony Musket in as well. Um, but I think when you look at this program as a whole, how they look as a product on the field, it just looks so much better with Anthony Calandra on the centre. And I think you're gonna they've kind of got to ride out now um, the bumps and the lumps with having a true freshman. Let him develop in this season, which is obviously it's a lost season. Two and eight, two games to play. There's nothing to play for other than pride in the development of Anthony Calandra. And I think there's a lot to be excited for because you look on the defensive side of the ball, through freshman um, linebacker Cam Robinson, he's he's emerging as a, as a real standout on that defense. So there's lots to be excited about, I think, for Virginia as you look at it um, from a season which started out with such low expectations. O.J. Hodgkinson, Twitter and Instagram, collegefootballnetwork.com are places where you can keep up with the work of Oliver Hodgkinson. Uh, you mentioned Anthony Calandra, and uh, there's a, a good chance, as you noted a moment ago, that he'll get the start over the final two games of the season for Virginia. They are not going to go bowling, as right now they're 2-8 and eight on the season. Uh, but you know, we'll pivot and hold that comment and thought until we get to the offseason, because we'll have plenty of time to look at the quarterback outlook in the future for UVA football. The team that Louisville dismantled last week and now has much more of a realistic must-win game against Boston College this week are the Virginia Tech Hokies. Before we get to the Tech side of things, I found it fascinating, and Trey and I shared our thoughts and our votes of confidence earlier, Fastlane Edlane, where you listen to podcasts to hear those thoughts, but the line started off with Boston College favored by four, and it kept coming down, coming down, and coming down, closer to a pick or in some spots even Virginia Tech being favored. How much of that is the potentially questionable health of Castellanos, the quarterback for Boston College? Yeah, I think that's, it, it's, it's pretty much everything. And we, Funnily enough, we were talking about um, some lines in, in college football yesterday, and and Fresno State, San Jose State, who has San Jose State as a one-point favorite, and you're like, what the what the hell is happening at Fresno State that no one knows about? And I was like, is it Mikey Keane? It's amazing how much the a questionable status over a quarterback will change a betting line. And for Boston College, you know, Thomas Castellanos has been has been their offense pretty much um, since he took over from Evan Moorhead as a starter. His unique ability is a dual threat. There's not many more. Um, dangerous dual threat quarterbacks in college football right now than Thomas Castellanos and um, without him Boston College does look a very different team 
Um, so for him to be, for any question mark over his availability, his status for a game, that is going to massively um, alter the, the line because I, I do think this is going to be a super close game tomorrow. Oliver, from Virginia Tech's perspective, they got destroyed last week, obviously, 34-3 to at Louisville. Um, a game that you know I think we kind of saw it coming for Virginia Tech. It was another road game. They've struggled there under Brent Pry. And frankly, it's a step up in competition, even though it's a first-year head coach uh, in Brom who came from Purdue to Louisville. As a program, they're more developed than where Virginia Tech happens to be. How much more is this Boston College game a game that Virginia Tech needs to have to show they can win on the road in Brent Pry and to be able to get themselves to a one more game remaining for bowl eligibility, which would seem to be a big step for this program in year two? Yeah, I think it's a huge game from a multiple, not from a multitude of perspectives. And obviously the bowl eligibility um, thing is, is, is key for Virginia Tech. They don't really want to... Um, be having to, to scrape out two wins um, to end the season and two tough games obviously NC State isn't an easy team to play and then obviously the, the, the bitter rivalry again with Virginia which will end the season so getting the win against Boston College means they only need to win one of those so that, there's, there's that I think the thing with this game is these two teams are we talked about a lack of expectation for Virginia at the start of the season I think if you look at most um media outlets and uh, forecast for the ACC this year, you've got Virginia, Virginia Tech and Boston College, the teams that seem to be right down the very bottom where expectation was concerned ahead of the season. So now Boston College and, and Virginia Tech are on this upward trajectory. Boston College fans calling it the path. Um, they're obviously already ball eligible. They've really turned around this season. Um, so I think there's, there's, this game is so close as well because both of these teams do similar things really well. They've got similar um, capabilities in certain positions as well. Um, and I think you look at how this game might go tomorrow, you look at what Boston College offensive line has been able to to bring together this year. They brought back Christian Mahogany. Um, he's been a huge part of that. But early in the season, the, the offensive line lacked a little bit of cohesion, really struggled, but they're only allowing 1.22 sacks a game. Virginia Tech's allowing 2.33. And um, the BCO line against a guy like Antoine Powell from Virginia Tech, that's going to be such a huge battle and pivotal um, to what um, the outcome of this game is. Um, so I, I think it's, it's a really fascinating game. It's a huge game for, for both teams in a lot of respects because although Boston College is already bowl eligible, which a lot of people didn't think they would be this year, they both want to keep that trajectory moving. Um, and obviously for Virginia Tech to bounce back from from that defeat to, to Louisville, who there's no shame in losing to, to Louisville in that nature. You know, Duke the week before Duke got absolutely blown out by Louisville as well. So there's no shame in that in that defeat to the Cardinals. But they will want to bounce back in style and, and with a win. OJ Hodgkinson, Twitter and Instagram, collegefootballnetwork.com, where you can keep up with a friend of ours, Oliver Hodgkinson, who's joining us in the Fast Lane. Of course, we're at Fast Lane Ed Lane, where you listen to podcasts and Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. The matchup, even when Castellanos was presumed to be healthy, which many do not believe to be the case, when Virginia Tech and Boston College square off for that 10 a.m. airtime, noon Eastern kickoff on the CBS Sports Radio Lynchburg app this Saturday, um, even game between these two teams. Do you expect it to be kind of a close, grimy, gritty game that has often uh, been the case of these teams dating back to their days as Big East rivals? Yeah, I think so. I think so. And... um... When you, you take, certainly if you take Thomas Castellanos out of the equation um, for Boston College, 
um, there isn't necessarily the high level skill players offensively that um, that you might see across the nation tomorrow in other head to head games. So I think you look at what Boston College has done in this resurgence. It is it's the ground game. It's been Castellanos. It's been Kai Robichaux and the former Western Kentucky running back. Um, and then it's been strong on defense. Guys like Elijah Jones, the um, cornerback out of Boston College, is really starting to garner some NFL attention now. Five interceptions this season. Um, so it's been ferocious on defense. And that's exactly what Virginia Tech's been, right? You look at the game against Syracuse, and um, particularly with Antoine Powell and what he did to that Syracuse offensive line. It's going to be a real trench battle. Um, and whoever can, can get the running game going the best, because you look at Virginia Tech with um, FCS transformation to it all, um, a running back who's been, you know, probably you'd argue one of the, the highlights of the Virginia Tech season um, from an offensive uh, perspective. So they're going to, it's going to be whoever can get the ground, get, ground game going the best, I think is going to be the team that takes home the victory at the end of the day. Realistically, for Virginia Tech, right now, three wins gets them to seven. Two wins gets them to six and bowl eligible. Anything less than that, it would feel like a disappointment for what this team's capable of. What's your read on what happens to Virginia Tech if you're going uh, win probability to win one, zero, one, two, or three of their remaining games? I think you've got to be confident of, of at least one. Um, I think despite what Virginia did um, last night, um, I think Virginia Tech surely will be confident that they can turn over the, the Cavaliers because, you know, you look at, we, we talked about Anthony Calandria, he's a fantastic talent. But you, if you put him under pressure, like Virginia Tech can put him under pressure, he's going to crack. He's a young kid who, who's still prone to making questionable decisions. So I think there's certainly got to be confidence of one. Um, I think they can get six wins. I've had I've been projecting them as um, bowl eligible um, for the past couple of weeks. So I, I do think Virginia Tech can get to six. I think it's more likely to be NC State um, than Boston College, but it all, I would say, it all factors on whether Thomas Castellanos is, is fully fit to go tomorrow. That whole NC State situation is even more fascinating with uh, Brennan Armstrong back as the starter as opposed to MJ Morris, who uh, decided to shut it down and redshirt the remainder of this year. Uh, that is a subject that we'll get into next week when NC State and Virginia Tech get ready to square off. We are trying to stay in the present with Oliver Hodgkinson of collegefootballnetwork.com. Ali, speaking of the present, JMU in their quest for postseason ball eligibility. I don't know anybody who doesn't believe they should be in the bowl game. Everyone seems to think they should get to a bowl game. It's just the NCAA clinging to precedent. Uh, do you get the read that the tides may be changing in terms of the public rallying behind JMU in a way that maybe they similarly did for North Carolina's Tez Walker to overturn a rather archaic NCAA rule? Yeah, I mean, there's absolutely no doubt that I think anyone associated with college football is is in JMU's corner whether it's analysts, fans, you look at a team who are undefeated, and it's and it's not just this season, right, for JMU, it's how they've come into the FBS, and we've talked about it on this show previously before, how they came into the FBS last year, how they prepared, how they meticulously went about their business last year, and then this year, obviously being undefeated, and everything that brings at this late stage of the season, there is, of course, a groundswell of, uh, um, favor across the nation, apart from maybe other group of five uh, New Year's six potential teams like Tulane. I don't think Tulane would be too happy if JMU are uh, uh, suddenly granted 
Bowell is vented because that they ultimately between JMU and Liberty, that's two huge competitors for Tulane's spot in the New Year's Six. But um, I think the the NCAA, it feels like the NCAA have said this is our this is our standpoint and we're not budging from it. That seems to be where we're at right now. Um, obviously, the NCAA have got their, their hands full with a lot of things at the moment. Um, but I, I just think when you look at college football right now, when you look at college football realignment, and we talked about this at College Football Network in, internally with with the conversation that we have on a day-to-day basis, is why should a team be able to decide, right, we're up and rooting from the Pac-12 to the Big Ten? And this isn't a get at those teams by any stretch of the imagination, but why should a team be able to get up and do that you can you can leave the Pac-12 and go to the Big Ten or the Big 12 or wherever it is you're going, ACC. But JMU can't come from the FCS to the FBS and, and still have that same bowl eligibility. No one's stopping UCLA, USC, Washington, Oregon from competing for national championships next year, having jump ship from the Pac-12. And it just feels like it's a very unfair footing in which that rule... Um, that prevents JMU, Jacksonville State. Obviously, Sam Houston isn't in that conversation, sadly. But you know, JMU, Jacksonville State, Kennesaw State, when they come up into the FBS next season, why? Why should they be hamstrung? You know, they're in, they're here, they're competing, and they should be allowed to compete all the way and fully. Ali, couple more questions. Last one on JMU. They get ready to host UConn at two p.m. tomorrow up at Bridgeport Stadium up in Harrisonburg, Virginia, up from where we're based at our Virginia Talk Radio Network studios down in Lynchburg, Virginia. Um, this whole idea of being able to make it to a New Year's Six bowl game in the conference championship before that, if the NCAA changes, how much do you believe that's helped JMU stay as focused as they have appeared recently, and that we would believe they will continue to be when they battle a one and eight UConn team this coming Saturday? I think you just look at this program, and there's just a uh, there's what we talked about. We talked about it before. They were built the right way. They built for this. They built to come in and, and compete. And I, I, I think that this isn't proving a distraction for that team because uh, I don't think anything would distract them. I don't think it particularly galvanizes them and pushes them on to greater things on the off chance. I think this is just what they're built for. You look at a guy like um, Coach Signetti. You know, he's a he's a born winner. He's born to compete. And this team, the way they put this team together with the players, the cohesion, it's just built to compete. And I don't think that would matter whether they were competing for just winning games or winning the Sun Belt or winning, you know, <coughs> excuse me, winning a place in the, in, you know, in bowl season and winning a bowl game or, or, or you know, going all the way and getting to the, uh, to the New Year's Six. I don't think that would change their mindset. I think they're just they're just all in. They're a competitive team that wants to win and they want to put the best product out there on the football field week in, week out. And that's what they're doing. That's an interesting take. And more of those are at OJ Hodgkinson on Twitter and Instagram and collegefootballnetwork.com as Oliver Hodgkinson's with us in the fast lane. The best product possible. Jamie Chadwell is still searching for that from his Liberty Flames, even though they demolished Louisiana Tech 56-30 to last week. From the the perspective of this weekend's matchup, ODU at Liberty, how much of Jamie Chabal sticking on Liberty is built for the fact that they've got ODU, which is an in-state rival now, and they know they're going to be in a Conference USA Championship game that they'll host Friday, December 1st over at Liberty University. And because of that, you've got to stay on top of things if you want to have a chance, even as distant as it sounds, for that to translate to a New Year's Six Bowl. 
Yeah, I think, like you say, Liberty have just got to keep plowing on with doing what they have been doing this season. And that's being incredible on offence, forcing turnovers on defence. I think you, you, you referenced there the Louisiana Tech game. I don't think anyone thought Louisiana Tech, nothing that Louisiana Tech has done this season has thought they'd be able to hang 30 on, on Liberty. So there, there will be um, there will be things that Jamie Chadwell wants to iron out on this team. And they're playing an ODU team who have been, in sort of certainly the last five games, they've been real close games, no more than a one-score defeat for ODU. You look at the record, four and five, and you think, well, this should be an easy game. This is not an easy game for, for Liberty by any stretch of the imagination. ODU is a team full of talent. You, know, you look at a guy like linebacker Jason Henderson, you look at Lamorian James, a Norfolk native who kind of embodies everything that Old Dominion team wants to be. He's a great, great um, football player at cornerback position. So it's not an easy game by any stretch of the imagination for Liberty and they, they have just got to approach it. Um, well, they have every game and just they'll they'll want to grind it all out on the ground and ODU has been pretty good at stopping the run in, in a lot of their games this season. So we might see a little bit more of, of air Caden Salter than ground Caden Salter this weekend. But um, that's, how, that's Liberty's identity and, and that's Jamie Chadwell's identity. The multifaceted Liberty Flames, we might get more of that from them this Saturday, a game that I'll be attending 1 o'clock over at Liberty University, Old Dominion at LU, the game this coming Saturday uh, in our backyard from the Virginia Talk Radio Network. Ali, uh, last one for you. Big Ten suspending Jim Harbaugh for coaching games for the remainder of the regular season due to conduct that they deemed to be impermissible as far as in-person scouting over multiple years that resulted in an unfair competitive advantage and compromised the integrity of competition. Uh, Michigan planning to seek the temporary restraining order so that Harbaugh can coach at Penn State. Um, My perspective is it's kind of like the New England Patriots. It's been skirting the rules. I'm surprised that the Big Ten wanted to go in this direction, but other schools have pressed them. What's your perspective on this as it relates to the overall tenor of college sports and the fact that coaches are looking for different angles in every shape or form? Is this over the lines what's been alleged to have happened at Michigan, or is this something that merely is what others have done and they've just gotten caught by being a little too sloppy from it? I think the, the thing is, it's a little bit of both, right? I mean, it's it's there in black and white, but it's against the regulations. Um, what Michigan, Michigan done is against the NCAA regulations. But like Michigan has argued, and, and multiple people have made the same point, is this is something that has been ongoing, and this is this will be Michigan's defense of their position. Is this is what's been going on in the Big Ten and, and college football? Now you've opened the can of worms with Michigan and tried to make an example out of the Wolverines. They are very much. It feels like they're going to bite back um, in a in a big way. Um, as far as the, the the punishment came out, um, pretty much well, 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 we've been talking. Um, it was always it was always going to be. It felt like it was always going to be a punishment that wasn't impacting the players of that program, which is I think anyone who's a fan of college football is a fan of the players and we don't want to see the players impacted by decisions that are often taken without them even knowing, without their, it doesn't impact their ability to, to play the game to the best of their ability. And I don't think anyone wants to see the players punished. The Jim Harbaugh situation is interesting because it feels very much like there has been a, an ongoing quest to tab Jim Harbaugh with 
something, um, which you know that's a that's a separate matter altogether. But as a as the head coach of the college, of of the program of this college football program of the Michigan Wolverines, Jim Harbaugh's defense that he didn't know anything about it, similar to um, the the defense at Northwestern this past off season that the, the head coach doesn't know anything about it, doesn't rub, it doesn't sit right because as the head coach of a college football program or any sport, you know everything or you should know everything that goes on under your roof. So it's one of two things. Either Jim Harbaugh didn't know what was going on and he's been negligible in his position as a head coach or he did know what's going on and he's been lying about it. And either way, that's punishable offences. Um, so it, it's interesting that it's the, the remainder of the regular season. Um, it makes you wonder if there's something bigger coming down the pipeline that might impact the, the off-season because obviously Michigan are going to be there or thereabouts. They've not needed Jim Harbaugh for the first three games of this season. It's not going to make an impact. Don't, I don't feel like it's going to make an impact to what happens this Saturday or the, the next two Saturdays, obviously when they play Ohio State in that season finale as well. It's going to, it's going to be super interesting, I think, what comes next um, because I, I, I feel this isn't the end of it. It is, and it's great insight, and it's unfortunately the end of it for today, but not forever. From Oliver Hodgkinson, College Football Network, OJ Hodgkinson, Twitter and Instagram. Ollie, it's always great to catch up with you in the fast lane. Thank you for giving us a moment of your time. Be well, and we look forward to more of these. Appreciate it. Always a good time. Thank you. Our pleasure. Oliver Hodgkinson with us here in the fast lane. That does it for us today. And a reminder, JF Cavalier Football presented by TrostLaw.com. 6.30 p.m. East Coast Wings and Grill Tailgate Show from Jefferson Forest as GW and JF square off on the sister station, 100.9, and the Virginia's Talk Station app. We're back Monday afternoon, 5 to 6 p.m. on the CBS Sports Radio Lynchburg app.